What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I don't see any American dream. I see an American nightmare. We never initiate any violence upon anyone. But if anyone attacks us, we reserve the right to defend ourselves. When you're in your own nation, in your own land, you're in a position to get justice. But when you're in another man's country, in another man's land, you have to look to that other man for justice, and you'll never get it. We're nonviolent with people who are nonviolent with us. But we are not nonviolent with anyone who is violent with us. Anytime you beg another man to set you free, you will never be free. We are ready and willing to pay the price that is necessary for freedom. What price are you talking about, sir? The price of freedom is death. Welcome to Make It Plain, the show where two Christians offer reflections on the words and life of Malcolm X. I'm Philip Holmes. And I'm Taylor Gray. We are your hosts. Y'all know the routine. Before we dive into this episode, I need y'all to do a few things for me. Visit our website, makeitplain.co, and download our Make It Plain discussion guide. By this point, season two may already be out, but we definitely have season one ready for you. Again, this is a summary of all the episodes from the previous season, as well as some discussion questions to keep the conversation going locally. If you have listened to a few episodes of Make It Plain, or if you've been with us since season one, Please rate us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If they have a rating system, please use it. But we especially want you to hit us up on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Our goal is 300 total ratings on Apple Podcasts and 100 ratings on Spotify. Spotify, if you didn't know, got a rating system now. So go ahead. I'm going to take you a few seconds to click it and keep moving. Please do listen to us on Spotify and give us... Good ratings, because we're fighting a good fight. Phil, what's today's quote, man? I'm really interested to hear what we're going to talk about today. I see America through the eyes of the victim. I don't see an American dream. I see an American nightmare. I'm going to toss it back to you with reflections on victimhood. I think that 
there is a certain notion that the concept of victimhood for black people sets us back. How have you interacted with that notion and has it been communicated to you? Did you at one time ascribe to that notion? And how do you interact with this quote? I think I probably knew that racism exists, but I never felt like I was a victim. I still felt like I could do anything. And some of that was mm-hmm. me being a bit naive and, and optimistic. Mm-hmm. I knew racism still existed, but you know, I didn't really realize how much you have to navigate white culture in order to be successful. So by the time I got to college, I definitely didn't see myself as a victim. In some ways, I saw myself starting off with certain disadvantages. But even as I got to know a lot of the people that I was interacting with and that I was friends with, I realized that we weren't really that different. The biggest disadvantage that I had, and this is where we get into white privilege and all that, is the fact that I was black so I had to overcome certain prejudices when people would have conversations with me there have been multiple times where people would say oh well you really articulate you know but they said in a surprise way it's not really a compliment when a white person tells you that you're articulate Man. <laughs> it's yeah. like why are you shocked I'm a student in college it's a compliment to a 10 year old to tell him that he's articulate but you don't expect 10 year olds to be articulate. You don't expect five year olds to be articulate. So, anyways, yeah. <laughs> you're not normal, bro. But that's what it's meant to communicate. You're different. Right. And, and for me, as a black young adult, I'm like, no, I'm not that different. Why do you seem so surprised? Well, just to kind of sew up the, the you're so articulate point, I think there may be actually well intentioned, well meaning white folks who say that with no intent on communicating a sense of inferiority. But here's the thing is like a a racist or probably a white supremacist ideology doesn't have to involve intent. It just articulates an an observation that has been kind of culturally trained. That's Um, a really good point, bro. So it's not about necessarily what you mean to do, but it is about what you did. That's the common experience. But I want to get back to to just the ne- the notion of, of victimhood. And, and first and foremost, I think what stri- strikes me about this quote is that Dr. King ends up saying it later in his life. 100%. He, he <laughs> sits on that. I think it's the either NBC or ABC interview. Yep. And that's what he says in reflection of his I have a dream speech, mm-hmm. which he calls naive. And Malcolm is saying it, and clearly at a time where, you know, he can be demonized for it. But what he's at this essentially is trying to, I think, what he's trying to communicate is the honest experience of being black in America. Because Dr. King said that when post-Civil Rights Act. Right. When he had the same rights and privileges Malcolm had. Yep. Yep. It just shows that there is a commonality of our experiences, even if we land different ideologically in certain ways and even our methodology. And oftentimes those differences are exaggerated. Yes. Like they were with King and Malcolm. They're they're saying the same thing. And maybe it took a different path to arrive at this conclusion, but the conclusion is there nonetheless. And it, it comes back to this notion of the American dream. When I have experienced the, the most adverse reactions to the concept of victimhood or black people taking on the experience of victimhood, there's an adverse reaction from some white folks who believe that that is what actually hinders us from achieving progress. I mean, literally, when I was pastoring 
uh, mostly white church in, in the suburbs. This was literally an intense conversation I had with several of the members who eventually left the church where it was flagrantly said to me, you guys can achieve what we have achieved. You just don't work hard enough. You know, you don't. What? <laughs> yeah, I know, bro. Like, you know, let me unfold and unpack my trauma for you. <laughs> but again, it's not about intent. It's not like he was trying to hurt my feelings, but he was trained to assume that this is a part of our nature, is that we're lazy and that we don't, we always complain and, and we always find ourselves on the side of the argument that says we need more help and we need more resources, et cetera, et cetera, instead of an accurate depiction of our experience in this country. Goes back to an earlier uh, episode where we talked about education. You haven't been educated about our experience in this country. And first and foremost, if you feel, if you feel like you need to be educated about the history of the African experience in this country, those who are of African descent who first came to this country as constructed as the United States of America, we did not come over here as immigrants. That's the American story, is this immigration journey where people from all across the world decided to come and make their way here, and you can do anything because it's the American dream. Mm -hmm. We are derailed from that discussion because we came over here as goods and services, as property. Mm -hmm. Therefore, you can't access even the best forms of idealism that's identified in the Constitution and all the founding fathers, literature and language, because you were included in the original language as a form of property. Therefore, you cannot achieve whatever you want. You cannot own plots of land. You cannot work wherever you want. You cannot build a life for yourself and your community because you're being terrorized for the purposes of economies and for the purposes of a governmental structure that was built to oppress you. So what Malcolm is saying is we have been victimized. To be able to acknowledge that is not to say that we have no hope, but we got to start somewhere. There's nothing wrong with being a victim. Like when Malcolm says, I see America through the eyes of the victim, to your point, he's not encouraging victimhood. Yeah. But I, I do think that even the word victim has been branded mm -hmm. as a bad thing unless the victim is dead. But, but if right. you're talking about a victim, like people are like, I don't see myself as a victim. And that's kind of a, a thing. Yeah. It's like, no, you can be a victim as yeah. well as a victor. Yes. Something happened to you. Something happened to you that yep. was wrong. That makes you a victim. It, and it doesn't it, have to define you. And it doesn't and, have to define you. Exactly. Right. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, but I, I think that there's this rhetoric and again i think this rhetoric was created by people in power mm -hmm. to sometimes silence to muffle to shame mm -hmm. uh, people that have experienced injustice mm -hmm. uh, i also recognize how those in power tend to rebrand mm -hmm. phrases mm -hmm. in order to make true real victims ashamed of mm -hmm. actually accepting or highlighting the fact that they have been victimized. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And so that's, and that's very dangerous. And that's, that's something that I think we really need to be careful about. Yeah. And, and in order to, to come to a more heroic conclusion about the way your life plays out, you're supposed to suppress the things that, the painful things that you've been through uh, in your journey in order to highlight the accomplishments that you ultimately were able to experience. But there's no notion of what it means to overcome if you don't talk about what happened. 
You know, like how can I how can I talk about the the story of overcoming something if I haven't been a victim of a certain circumstance that impeded my progress or created an, an obstacle for me to actually experience the good? I understand why victimhood or the notion of being a victim is being weaponized. Uh, against black people. I understand that. But to me, it's about ignorance and lack of education. It is, again, a type of ideology that was created and crafted in this story of America without the contributions of black people. You did not ask us to contribute to this ideology or to construct the narrative of history in America. You wrote the history books. You told us to study and learn them on your terms. And then at the end of the day, if we say, hey, we think you left some things out, we're going through some things, we're being pointed to as people who don't have the motivation and or the work ethic to overcome. Mm-hmm. And here, I'm just like, that that disgusts me on another level because it's dishonest Mm -hmm. you know at the end of the day it's just dishonest and then of course you you encounter people who say well all right say I agree with you what am I going to do with this guilt well fam that's not my job is to help you work through your guilt Mm -hmm. I'm just here to tell you what happened now how you respond to that don't you believe the gospel Hey man, look, we didn't even get there, but yeah, that that's where we should be, right? As like, followers of Christ, you do what the Bible instructs us to do with our sin. Yes. We confess it, we repent of it, and we repair what we can. Yeah. Well, that's the last part I was going to say. Like you can, the, the thing about confession and repentance to the Lord is it, it it comes with an effect. Like there are there's then a conviction to keep with the fruits of repentance. Like, you know, if you truly have repented, it's not like, oh, it's the way that the Catholic Church is depicted in the movies. It's like, you know, you get this murderer who somehow finds his way sitting in the booth talking to the priest. Always in New York or Chicago. <laughs> so huge cathedral. And it's this, this this character who is just virtually irredeemable, but somehow finds himself in a conversation with a priest somewhere and is absolved in that moment, but the absolution doesn't come with any kind of changed action. It's just like, oh, now we just deal with the conflict of this character. And that, I mean, look, that is, okay, if you really want to take it to this level, that's a traumatic depiction because that's like literally our experience with white folks. You have to talk about what happened and be true and be honest about what happened. Okay, maybe that's the education part. But then if you're a Christian, then what I think you're left with in the repentance practice is a conviction then to go and sin no more, (laughs) You know, like you don't continue in the same action. Like I got it off my chest, therefore I don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah, I think to your point, reflecting on actually what has happened historically, that's the first step. The next step is to think about how has this impacted me Mm -hmm. ideologically, psychologically? Mm -hmm. How has this affected me? Because you can remove yourself from the acts Mm -hmm. themselves, right? That is not something that you did. That blood isn't necessarily on your hands, but it's very likely that culture, that that ideology has been passed down to you. Don't just assume that you haven't been affected by it. Because we've all been affected by the culture of white supremacy. Black people have, more than they realize. Because oftentimes we start using the tactics that were used against us, against each other. 
the next step is to where you can figure out how can you repair or make restitutions. And here's my example. If somebody steals your car and and he gives it to me as a gift and I discover later on, or maybe you called me out on it. Hey, bro, that's my car. What you talking about, man? Like, I got this car from someone. Right. Well, he stole that car from me. Yeah. Is it, well, bro, I ain't had nothing to do with that. It's my car. I ain't steal the car. Yep. I ain't know it was stolen. Mm-hmm. I just, I just in there. No, bro, you give the car back. <laughs> well, look, bro, you're going to have, you ain't going to have, that's not going to be a lot of amens in the audience for that. I, I would make it plain with Bill for amens. <laughs> you can't say amen, say ouch. To your point, like you're right, man. If you are a follower of Christ, and of course we have to make that distinction because we can't expect everybody to act in, in the way, in the nature, I mean, radically sacrificial nature of Christ. You know, at the end of the day, for him to take on the sins of the world, it was a radical act of sacrifice because he was perfect. He did none of the things that everybody else did. And yet he took them on in order to save others who did. And at the, it, it, it's, it's the beauty of the gospel that he sacrificed in such a way. So in the image of Christ, we seek out those ways that we can radically sacrifice, even if it's not necessarily all on us, if we, if we want to perceive it in such an individualistic way. And that's another weakness of our society is that we are trained to be hyper-individualistic. We don't live communally. You know, what you do is just your fault. What you do is ultimately your responsibility, your property, your family, your vision, your faith, all of those kinds of things is is the way that your life is constructed. And it doesn't matter if what you do impacts somebody else. Just worry about yourself. And that's the way we're trained to think. As Christians, again, we're back to the illustration of the body where that is the antithesis of hyper-individualism. One part of the body affects the other. And you're interconnected to this. So how can you be indifferent to the pain or the shoulder pain of the body if you are the elbow of the other side and you act like it doesn't exist or you downplay? It should affect you, too, Mm -hmm. if you are a part of the same community. Mm -hmm. That is the transformation work Mm -hmm. to be communal. Mm -hmm. So if I listen to a quote like this. And, you know, I'm a white person. I, I can resist the instinct to say like, oh, he's a victim. You know, you, you can't overcome nothing or whatever. All right. If you are able to see the truth, which is to say, yes, you have been victimized as a black person. And yet the guilt is paralyzing. I don't know what to do with that. How about you ask Malcolm some more questions? <laughs> you know, what, what, what say more? Help me understand what you mean by that. Because you, you're, you're, the guilt is crippling. You don't know what to do. Right. And you might need to be educated as to how to respond. Right. You can't even trust your own instincts because that's a lot of times where you get stuck too. It's like, all right, I feel the guilt and shame. So let me come up with the solution for your problem. Right. You know. So in your example, no, I'm not going to give you my car, but I will give you a bicycle. You know, like, and you should be grateful (laughs) that I gave you some transportation, you know, like, aren't you happy? You know, here's my solution for your problem. You don't have transportation. So now you do. Or let me give you a bus pass. You know, I'm my bad man, but you're not getting my car. You're not getting actually what you need to continue in the life and dignity that you had previously 
but you're going to get my version of a solution. No, the, 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 the answer is that you need to be discipled and trained in a new way mm-hmm. in order for you to make it right. Mm-hmm. If you don't have that, then, you know, you'll just kind of stay stuck in the cycle of guilt that turns into indifference that ultimately turns into opposition. Yep. And of course, I know analogies always break down at some point. So I want to address the, because I'm, I'm thinking about the other side and the response to that, right? Oftentimes, it's not as clean as that, right? It's sure. not like a possession where a car is stolen, then it's passed down, and there's a direct connection to the person who. Hey man, that's your you know, analogy. Right. I was just rolling with you. Oh no, no, I'm no. Kid. I'm oh, kid. I'm oh, kid. Oh no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, but analogies aren't supposed to be perfect either. No. People are quick to say my ancestors didn't like own any slaves. My Our ancestors, society benefited yeah, from slavery. Yeah, society exactly. Yes, benefited from slavery. But even after slavery was abolished, black people were marginalized and oppressed. And used, I mean, the sharecropping system, how long did that last? Reconstruction. Uh, in the South. So these things continued to happen decades, oh, for over a century and beyond after the Emancipation Proclamation. Mm. And, and, and you can say, well, you know, how do you know I received any benefits? How do you know you didn't? And if you didn't, and if every white guy that I talked to or every white person that I talked to says that they didn't benefit, well, who did? Who's, who's received the benefits of all this? Somebody did. Most likely it's, it's a collective benefit. And then there's also the harm that's been done. Because mm-hmm. just, we're just talking about material things in, in, in a sense. We're just talking about material stuff. That's not even the, the material stuff is not even the worst damage that's been, been done. Mm-hmm. There, is the, there is the brand mm-hmm. of what it means to be black by outsiders. Now, I'm mm-hmm. talking about how we view ourselves. Mm-hmm. To some extent, that's, that's a problem as well, right? Mm-hmm. But how outsiders view us, how the world views us. Mm-hmm. And then there's the reality of how it has affected us psychologically mm-hmm. and how far it has put us behind economically. And it's just our ability to build our own wealth and pass it down from generation to generation. I've seen how, how people get hired, how people get opportunities in the South. It's not about what you know. Everybody knows. It's about what? Who you know, Yep. right? So the networking opportunities, right, that come with being white. Like, everybody wants to know, like, what's your mama's name, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Who's your daddy, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's how the South works in a lot of ways. And I yep. imagine those things work that way in other places Same. in the country. Yep. Mm-hmm. So if, if that's the case, then you begin to see that, no, 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 man. Like, there's a young man that I hired. Love him. Mm-hmm. Love him. Long, young white kid. Love him. And he got the job. Because he absolutely deserved it. Mm-hmm. I can trust him. I depend on him. He's been with me for a while. But even looking in that situation, like, how did I know about him? Mm-hmm. How did I know about him? Because he was able to accrue an internship where I was working, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That most kids his age wouldn't have been able to get mm-hmm. because of a, a, a connection that he had. Mm-hmm. That most black kids would not have, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Right, so he's he's in that situation. He hadn't done anything wrong. Mm-hmm. He's, just, he's just, and me, the black guy, I hired, because I, I needed him, mm-hmm. right? You see my point. Mm-hmm. That's that network, right? Mm-hmm. That's that network. That network, bro. I, I want to transition from that unless you have any other points, because I think there's another point right here where we got to talk about oh, yeah, Malcolm there's, the there's person. There's many others, but yes, go ahead. So notice what Malcolm is doing. People see this, and it can sometimes be a triggering quote. But Malcolm is essentially saying an accurate view of society is not based on the lifestyles of the rich, the wealthy, and the affluent. That's not how you measure whether or not 
a nation is doing well or is not doing well or is a great nation or is not a great nation. Mm. You look at their poor. Mm. You look at those who are marginalized and oppressed or who are lacking. You just look at the poor. And then you ask yourselves, how did they get there? And then that's when you discover there's been marginalization, there's been oppression, right? There's been injustice. Mm -hmm. And he's saying, that's how you judge whether or not a society is healthy. Mm. And do they have the opportunity or are there multiple barriers and unnecessary roadblocks that make it more difficult to succeed? But, and that's what Malcolm is doing. And this is biblical, right? Again, like these are these are these are things that should shape your theology. Like if you're committed to follow Christ, it's it's uh for me the the passage about the rich young ruler where this rich young ruler was in a hurry to justify himself to Jesus and tell him all that he knew. And Jesus listens to him and says, okay, those are the right things to do, but there's something you lack. This is a conversion conversation. This is the way I interpret this passage. It's a conversion conversation to say, all right, this is what you lack. I want you to sell all that you have. Again, this is getting back to your illustration. Yeah. Um, you're going to have to get rid of that car, you know, but not just sell it, distribute it to the poor. So address the people who actually need help. Mm -hmm. Then come follow me. Like this is a, this is a work of transformation. Yeah. You can't just align yourself with an ideology that, that that says it's Christianity and then say the right things without the fruit that comes alongside of revolutionary transformation. Right. And a lot of folks are like to just exist on the surface level and, and the idealism of what it means to be culturally aligned with Christianity. But when you talk about the actual cost to follow, the sacrificial nature of repair and restitution, all of that stuff just becomes matters of debate mm -hmm. and ultimately matters of indifference mm -hmm. because it's like, oh, we can't do that much. But you sound like the rich young ruler who walked away sorrowfully because he had great possessions. Right. He couldn't make he couldn't make the exchange. Yeah. It was too much. I can't yeah. give up that much. Yeah. Therefore, yeah. I'm going to continue in the way that I'm already walking. It's too much. I'm, I'm going to become apathetic. A hundred percent. I'm walking yeah. away from Jesus. I got the validation on the things that I did right. But when he yeah. says that I, he told you about the thing you lacked, you didn't want to give it up. So. Again, like here's the thing, we're, we're at this place where we have to identify ourselves in society and, and the work that we can do. Are Christians missional? You know, it's not just good enough to say we're a place that teaches the right things, but are we the people that affect our communities? I mean, you're talking right to talk in terms of like the place and the context that I minister. I minister in the inner city. So I'm looking at the effects of poverty. I'm looking at what it takes to find the people who are at the lower le levels of society and give them hope. You, I mean, the program you mentioned, like, you know, our church is affiliated with a job readiness program called Columbus Works. Shout out to Columbus Works. They literally sit down with people who, by all means, could be considered unemployable. You know, they either have records or they have checkered past. They don't have, they have gaps in their job history. They got all kind of stuff going on. Not only do they sit down with these folks and help them like prepare for job interviews and help identify their skill sets, they reach out to employers 
and say like, look, these people are the people who you probably wouldn't look twice at in a, in a stack full of resumes. We're going to advocate for them. So look at these people that we're training up. They've been passed over, but they need someone to step in and provide some level of mediation for them to have an opportunity to interact with society again. And if they don't have that mediator, if they don't have that person to advocate for them, then they're going to remain on the outskirts of society. And then they're going to be disparaged from a distance to say, you can't contribute anything. Well, what about the barriers? What about the work of restitution? What about the work of reconciliation? We are ministers of reconciliation. We have to be missional. But if you don't want to interact with the problems, that they're too complicated for you, what you're saying a lot of times you say is too complicated is is that you got to give up too much. Mm -hmm. You got to give up too much of your idea of what Christ's calling you to. And you don't get to do that with a person who died on the cross. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because even if you don't necessarily like the proposal of what you need to do, because we're not Jesus, so oftentimes when we get proposed plans, it's they're flawed. Sometimes they're really flawed, right? You still have the responsibility to go and to figure out a solution. But oftentimes, again, what happens? They walk away with their head down. Yeah. It's just too much. Too much. To your point. Too much. And, and again, it's about being mission or defining mission. Like, what is the mission of the church in a given local space? It doesn't look the same in all, but you have to define mission. It's not just about attendance. Yep. It's not just about, like, constructing some kind of social environment that makes everybody feel like they're, they're in a positive place in their life. Yep. You know, like, what is the cost yeah. of discipleship what is the actual giving up of your life that that contributes to a transformative end for people mm. <laughs> you know like that helps people oh come to my church so you can escape the cares of this world you're going to meet a lot of nice people who shake your hand and say hi but then they're going to escort you back into your struggle because they actually don't want anything to do with that that's between you and god mm. then we're back to hyper individualism We'll come together and play communalism for two hours on Sunday. But when it comes to mission, we don't want to align with that because we got too much issues going on. Our kids are driving us nuts or, you know, our job is hard and, and, and all of that. And, and we, we can wrap it up after this. If, you, if you're wondering or if you still have questions about whether or not there is things that you can do, of course there's things that you can do. And, you know, when that is proven, it's proven when the things that have affected our community begin to affect the white community. Case in point, the war on drugs. The point is, is that, oh man, there's nothing that we can do or like it's too complicated. Well, the war on drugs has been wreaking havoc in the black community for decades. But it wasn't until the opioid addiction took place that the war on drugs all of a sudden became a priority for legislators and for certain nonprofits and for all that. So there's never really anything that's been done. Same thing with the criminal system and all that stuff. When, when something becomes a problem in white America and is affecting the broader culture, all of a sudden now we got plans, Yes, right? We got strategies on how to fix that. We can recognize the laws that are causing that. Yes. But, so, so there, there are things that you can do, but you have to ask yourself, why is that the case? Yeah, and, and I want to go back to the point you made earlier in the conversation. You said that um, white supremacy affects black people. White supremacy affects white people, too. It, it affects people of European descent because of what you just said. So now you've established this war on drugs that essentially is targeted to sort certain communities, but it affected everybody. 
You know, like here. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Everybody. Negatively affects. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. It, it, Eventually, it will get to you. Yeah, it, well, it, it, for Christians, it affects your theology. Mm-hmm. It affects your actual view of Jesus, mm-hmm. who you think he actually is. Chickens coming home to roost. 100%. Right? So, Malcolm, famous, famous interview that also got him uh, pushed out of the nation of Islam. He's interviewed, what do you think about the assassination of John F. Kennedy? Yep. Malcolm says, listen, all I told him was like, all this is is chickens of chickens coming home to roost. When you have a cultural violence that exists and you don't do anything about it, eventually the gun will turn itself and, and point at you. So you see a lot of the stuff that's happening in the church right now with the abuses of power and evangelicalism and people being silenced and oppressed and all this stuff. This stuff has been happening to black people. But this is just chickens coming home to roost. Yep, Malcolm got kicked out of his own church for saying that. So, you know, imagine what it means to to have a revolutionary perspective on the gospel and speak in that way. Like what the implications are for you in your church. Because here's the thing, like the, the guilt is not the takeaway. Guilt is not like repentance is the the practice that positions us in order to hear from God what to do. You know, you don't just stay in a place of shame and then it becomes immobilization and indifference. You don't just hear these things. You don't hear Malcolm say like, this is American nightmare where we're victims. You don't take from that or distance yourself from that just because of guilt. It's not just about leaving you in a place of shame. The gospel liberates you from that. But what it doesn't liberate you from is action. It, it, liber- it actually liberates you to act in a way that pleases God and addresses the actual issues of society. If we're going to have a collective effect of sin, then we're going to have a collective repentance and we're going to have a collective motivation and missional motivation to address it. Yep. Ultimate home to roost uh, verse right here. And I'm, I'm not even going to offer any comment. Proverbs twenty two sixteen: whoever oppresses the poor to increase his own wealth or gives to the rich will only come to poverty. Chicken's coming home to roost. Amen, brother. Give us the, the benediction, a.k.a. the announcements. The outro, <laughs> man. Thanks the for outro. tuning in to Make It Plain. For more resources related to Malcolm X, visit our website, makeitplain.co. That's makeitplain.co, where you can subscribe to the show at Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon, Radio Public, Google, or via RSS and never miss a show while you edit make sure you go on Apple and Spotify or wherever there's a rating system related to podcasts that we are on. Our goal is to have 300 ratings on Apple Podcasts and 100 ratings on Spotify. You can also share the podcast with a friend. Be sure to visit our website and download our free resource, Make It Plain Season 1 Discussion Guide. You already know what that is. Join us next week as we continue our reflections on the words and life Malcolm X. Malcolm X.